So today is about Christian hope. And so I think it's just important to say that as you get started. Uh, that is kind of the, what I would say is the kind of the major theme that's going on in this text. And so um, I don't know how many of you have been in places where uh, you've seen people uh, suffering or struggling. Uh, some of us maybe here, you could say, you know, when I've really experienced those kind of things is when I go to a hospital. And, uh, you know, occasionally you'll go when a baby's being born. But then at other times, especially if you're in ministry, you'll go when people are sick and they're struggling or they're going to have surgery. Um, and those are times that, you know, we don't plan for or want, but they're things that we experience in this life. Um, also, uh, I've spent a lot of time in funeral homes. And there uh, is, in those moments, you're kind of considering things that maybe you don't normally think about, you know. And so for us, I think it's sometimes a little more difficult because we could say, you know, I, I don't always, I'm not always thinking about suffering or thinking about death. I don't consider it at all the time, you know, all the time. The church in Thessalonica was dealing with that because there was a lot of persecution and there were people who had died because of their faith. They were experiencing great difficulty and Paul on that missionary journey, when he went to see them, he he had to leave in the middle of the night because things were so rough. And he, he really, I think, wanted to take some of the stress. Like, what are we doing with, um, or how, what kind of hope do we have? I was thinking about someone who maybe lives their life with uh, just saying, this is all there is. What kind of life do they live? Well, they, they don't look towards the hope of the future or anything like that. Uh, some of them might say, you know what, I'm going to get as much out of this life as I possibly can. I'm going to accumulate as much as I possibly can and do as much of my kind of bucket list as I possibly can. Uh, that might be some response if you had no hope of the future. Another might be that um, I'm going to try to be really safe because I want to live forever, and I want to make sure that I can live as long as I possibly can. And so they'll exercise and eat healthy and all that kind of stuff, and they're seeking to somehow like uh, keep themselves uh, well, and that might be a thing. Some people might say, I'm going to do as little as I possibly can, because nothing matters. I don't want to do anything uh, that will like really push me or stress me because this life has no value or meaning. Because they don't have any view towards a Christian hope, a future, anything like that. Uh, some might even say, I look forward to death because as I experience life in this world, I think it's horrendous. And it's going to end there anyway. Why don't I just hurry up and end it now? So, all of those things could be a response to someone who has no hope. But the, the Scriptures speak to the Christian, and we understand that it teaches that there is life after death. We see this as a temporary dwelling, like as we await the return of Christ. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is something we need to understand. We need to remind ourselves of. And it helps us like live now in a different way than we might. So on this reality that we trust and hope in Him, uh, we really, the way, I think, I think it was Jonathan Edwards that talked about storing up as much happiness as possible for the world to come. We're, we're forward-looking people. We're not just looking in the present. We are looking forward to the future. We are making preparations for this life, but our security is bound. The Scripture says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places with God. You know, and so that's just a reality. 
you and I need to remind ourselves of. And so when we work in the present, we work and we strive to do things well because our lives matter to God. We are standing before the face of God. We're living before the face of God. And we forget that at times. And so hopefully today we'll be reminded of it. The Christian hope that we have. When we hold on to these truths about the future, we stand firm, we walk in holiness, we love others. We comfort those who are struggling. We encourage those who are faint-hearted. We do all of those things because we live by this glorious truth. And that is that those who die in the Lord will be raised on the last day. And those who are alive when He returns will be raptured in that moment. And so I think that's important for us to see, and we're going to look at that kind of as we move through. So chapter uh, 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you might uh, not grieve as others do who have no hope. So uninformed, that idea, is like misinformation or no information at all. There are times where you have, you're kind of left to yourself with ideas. Some of you may have certain things that you kind of think, hmm, I don't really know what to think about that. And so you may come up with something. Or you may have like somebody in your family who has kind of thoughts on whatever but I don't want to be uninformed. There was a lot of teaching out there, and um, there's a lot of teaching out there today that's not biblical. Uh, that, uh, it sounds good. It might be encouraging, just you know, but it could be falsely encouraging. And so we have to go back to the Scriptures and consider what the Scripture teaches. We don't want to have false thoughts because false thoughts lead to like, bad behavior. False beliefs lead to like a, a really bad living, you might say. And so we want to have good, solid understanding. And the Apostle Paul wanted them to have understanding. In the time of Jeremiah, there were false prophets who were promising people all kinds of things and saying, oh, there's peace and peace. And he says, there is no peace. And so we don't want anybody foolish entering into our uh, minds and hearts and teaching something that is not true. As Christians, the information today is there is great hope for those who die in the Lord and those who are presently with the Lord. That, that's, that's at the heart of this. And so you want to think about that. I was listening to a Christian leader once who adopted two of his boys from Russia. And when he entered the orphanage, he said the stench was so horrific that he could barely stand it. They were living in horrible circumstances. When he picked them up to take them out, they were crying and frightened, and they didn't even want to go with him. Because that's all they had ever known. All along the way, he was whispering in their ear. And this is exactly how he tells it. Don't be frightened. I am with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm giving you a new name and a new home. This momentary fear of the unknown has nothing to compare to the glorious life you have ahead. Those kids are now adults. They grew up in a family where they loved them. And I think it's true for the Christian that it's like God's whispering. He whispers this in our ear when we are afraid and frightened. By turning away from the old life or leaving this world, He says to us, this world stinks. 
It is filled with brokenness. I know that it is all you know, but I've given you a new name and with it a new inheritance that will never fade away. It's what he's saying to us. And we have to remind ourselves of that reality. Christians need to understand these things. Now, why does he want them to understand? So that they would not grieve with, like, as if they didn't have any hope. They, they, he wanted them to be centered on the hope that they have. There are some people that really maybe, you know, they, they, as Christians, they, they have no hope for the future. That is not what the Apostle Paul wanted. If you sit around and think like, I don't know whether I have hope or not, it doesn't align with Scripture. The Apostle wanted them to have assurance of those who had died and those who are living both to have assurance of the hope that they had. And so I think it's important to understand that and we need to encourage one another in these things. It's not some hobby to think about the Christian's hope. It's not like you say, oh, I'm going to look forward to the future and I like to tell different things about what I read in the newspaper. And we like to go around and say, oh, did you read today what's happening over here and over there? That's, that's, not, that's left for people who are not struggling in the present. That, that's like, it's not a hobby. It's not something you sit down and drink coffee and like talk about that kind of stuff. What we are centered on is truth, legitimate truth as revealed in Scripture. You know, in that world, in that time, I've read that people would say death is inevitable, everyone will face it. Their memory will continue, maybe at their funeral. Um, it might lead to a happy place. We don't know. You know, that was common in that day, and it may be common around where you've been. But the Apostle Paul roots his consolation, the way of consoling people in the resurrection of Jesus and his coming, living. And so he not only speaks to the destiny of the deceased believer, but also those who are living. And so that's what we're seeing today. And I want you to look at verse 14 and 15. You have three clauses here. It's kind of a confession that you would read in this text. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. So we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's the first clause. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The second in verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word of, from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So that's the third. So look at the first clause. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe this truth and preach it. We believe that Jesus came, he lived he, a perfect life, he died a perfect death, he was crucified, buried, and on the third day he rose. This is like, we believe this. This is something we would say together, that we would communicate together. We would encourage one another in this truth. Because of this truth, we are confident that we are reconciled to God, that God accepted his sacrifice, and he raised Jesus from the dead as an acceptable sacrifice. We believe in eternal life, and we believe eternal life. Jesus is going to, has ushered that in, he has brought that to us. The second clause, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. That's the second thing we believe. We believe that we die and then we go to be with the Lord. If we're in Christ, 
If we're trusting in Him, if our hope is in Him, when we die, we will go to be with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And we believe that truth to be true. Now the third thing that you see here. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen. That some of them, I think, struggled with the fact that they thought, well, if somebody's already died, will they get to experience the second coming? Will they get to experience Christ's return in its fullness? Or are they going to miss out? And it's clear here, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So all of us, the dead and the living, will experience the great Christian hope that when Christ returns, we will all be with him. So there's kind of this thing of like, when you think about his coming, there, there, in that early church, there were questions. They wanted to understand. They wanted to grasp it. Know what this is going to be like. Not too long ago, I was teaching, you know, in uh, Belize with these pastors, and we'd been through hours of stuff. And but when I came here, they were like, "Now, what, is, what does this mean?" You know, they wanted to know. They wanted to know what what is this? What do we understand to be true? And so I think in the same way for us, this belief or this creed, this thing that we could state, is helpful for us to understand. So. There are several things that I think is important, and we're going to look at them. When you look at verse 16, that will help you. Like four statements that are, that are there, and we'll just use like, you know, or, or you could say events within this whole thing. But it's these little statements that are going to come to us, and they'll help us understand how it all works, how it fits together. And it won't answer all of your questions. Some of you are going to be like, well, what about this? And, what about, and I had that. There were guys raising their hands. Well, what about Daniel chapter? And I was like, look. We don't have much time, but like this is what Paul lays out here. This is a clear thing. There are some things maybe we don't understand fully, but these things we do understand. One author calls it this, says it this, and the reunion. So when we start thinking about this, have you ever thought about what it's like to prepare for somebody to come to your house? Like you ever been getting ready, you know? And maybe... Um, you get things ready, and maybe you are today. Maybe Easter, everybody's going to be at your house on Easter. Uh, and so there's preparations that are made. And so there's things that you might do. Well, if it were a town and somebody really important was coming, like you kind of ask the question, well, what would they do? And I, I always think about going to the Andy Griffith show to find out what to do. They get all their stuff together. They get banners made. The police drive out to the entry of the town. All the people are there with flags for whoever the dignitary might be. Um, there's scheduled activities and all that kind of thing. This was true with the emperor in Rome. When he was coming to a place, I mean, they made a big deal about it. Well, in the coming of the Lord, it's a big deal too. It's the biggest deal that you could imagine. And so everybody's going to get together. And that's kind of what he lays out. So the return, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. So what do you see? This is not secret. It's announced. The Lord will descend. 
There's going to be noise. The archangel will announce him. There will be a trumpet that will, will thunder out. It's, uh, you, you really have God speaking, the archangel speaking, the, the trumpet uh, coming. All of that stuff is very vocal and very aware. People see what is taking place. The trumpet of God announces or commands the resurrection of the dead. It's kind of a, you hear all of this stuff taking place. So we see the return of the king for his kingdom. The next thing, just looking at this, the resurrection. It says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Because the dead in Christ, those who have died before the coming of the Lord, they will rise They are not being raised for judgment, but eternal life. Their spirits are with the Lord, but their bodies are going to be resurrected in a moment. They will be transformed. They will be changed. They won't miss the big grand story that's unfolding of the second coming. They will be a part of it. So you see the return, you see the resurrection, you see the rapture in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture has the idea of being snatched up. The people will not see death. These people will not see death. The dead in Christ are resurrected, but the living in Christ are snatched up in a moment. It, says, it speaks of the clouds that are there. That you see this visitation of God and these people being changed in a moment. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, which was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the Bible teaches of the coming of the Lord. And it teaches those, that those who are dead in Christ, those whose their spirit is with the Lord now, will one day uh, be brought together, spirit and body, complete at the second coming. And it speaks of those who have presently are living here, they will be raptured, they will be changed in a moment, and they will be with the Lord. So one author notes that the resurrection and the rapture, but a transformation of the old body into a new creation body that can inhabit the dimensions of the new world in Christ and God's presence. So there's some kind of transformation that takes place that changes them immediately. That's why the Scripture can say, our citizenship is in heaven, where we eagerly await our Savior, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And so, then there's a reunion. And we've kind of talked about it, but I just want you to see it. The reunion is, and so we will always be with the Lord. Sometimes you have family come in during a holiday. And you think, man, I really wish we could do this. I think one of my kids one time says, like, said, like, I wish, no, maybe it was somebody else in our family that said, I wish we could do this forever. Wish we could experience this forever. Why can't we all just live together? Why can't we have one place that we dwell with one another forever? I just long for it to be never stop. I enjoy this all the time. Why can't we live like this forever? He says those who are in Christ will live there forever. 
And there will be no more crying or sickness or death or sorrow or pain. And this is the thing he uses. Look at verse uh, 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I don't want you to be uninformed about the coming day of the Lord. He's coming. And when He comes, He is going to resurrect those who are with Him presently in body, I mean in, in spirit, and He will resurrect them so that their body and soul forever transform them. And I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are living. They'll be changed in a moment. And I don't want you to sit around and think like this is not going to last. It is a forever union. And when Jesus returns, the encouragement for the believer is that they will be with Him forever. The thing that's frightening is for those outside of Him. Those who are separated from Him. Those who sins. For those people, that day will be a day of horror. A day filled with no hope. A day filled with, a, if they did have hope, it was a false hope. A day where they will be eternally damned and, and they will face the judgment of God and they will spend eternity separated from Him. Those who are outside of Christ have no hope. The second coming is glorious because He's going to restore His people and He's going to judge their enemies. And then he's going to set up a new heavens and a new earth where these resurrected and raptured people will live forever. And so this is an encouraging truth to us. It's an encouraging truth if you have trusted and hoped in Christ. If you've repented of your sins, put your faith in Him. This is the most wonderful truth that you can ever receive. If not, we would call upon everyone here to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask You for clarity. We pray for a love of this wonderful hope that's promised. We pray that You would give everyone here a, a sober mind to consider these things. We thank You for the promises that are not unclear, but very clear, that help us understand what You have planned for us. What You have planned for our relatives that have gone before us, for our family that we've never met from the first century on, and even in the Old Testament. For those people, all who believed throughout the ages, that we will gather with them in one family reunion forever and ever. And there will be no more sorrow. We just rejoice in that. We look forward to that day. We pray we would believe these things. Hold fast to them. In Christ's name, amen.